Good morning. Today's reading is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and can be found on page 1605 of your Pew Bibles. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mum. Uh, I actually came out of my mother's womb, although uh, you might not believe it, having to adjust the microphone that way. At one point in time, I was small enough to fit in there. Uh, Sorry, that's not really interesting information, is it? Good morning. Um, My name's Gavin, if I haven't met you yet, and uh, if I haven't met you yet, then I hope to do so after the service. How confident should we be that we will be saved on the day of judgment? Is it right to be confident or is it arrogant? Surely it's humble to say that we hope that we might be saved on the day of judgment, but who am I to assert that I will be? Well, today we will hear from the letter of Romans and from the Apostle Paul that the authentic Christian attitude towards the day of judgment is one of boasting, such confidence that it can be described as a form of boasting. Now, we're in the middle of our Roman series, and uh, it's entitled Righteousness Revealed. And Romans 5 today picks up logically after Romans chapter 3. So you'll remember there in chapter 3, Paul has said that now a righteousness of God has been made known through faith in Jesus Christ and that God's righteousness was demonstrated through the cross. Chapter 4 was kind of an aside. It didn't actually advance the argument. Chapter 4 is the defense 
of what he said in chapter 3. He says, even Abraham found exactly the same thing, that righteousness is available by faith. Now chapter 5 advances the, the argument one step and says, if we have been justified by faith, then these are the consequences. So chapter 5, we begin to see the consequences of justification. And the big change in chapter 5 is the move from fear to confidence, from fear of God's wrath to boasting that we will be rescued from God's wrath. And what we're going to see today is as follows. We have been saved through Jesus. Now we have already been saved through Jesus. Secondly, that God's love is the grounds of this assurance. And thirdly, that we will be saved on the day of judgment through Jesus. So first up, we have been saved through Jesus already. According to Romans 5, these are the consequences of being justified by God. Firstly, we have peace with God, he says. Now, this is not a feeling of being at peace with God. This is a reality. It is actual, real peace. It might have the feeling of peace, it might not. But if you are in Jesus Christ, if your faith is in Christ, God is at peace with you and you are at peace with God. This is more like the end of conflict between two nations than it is the nice warm feeling you get inside when you're sitting on a mountain. This is the cessation of hostility between God and us. Justification, you'll see, and the cross brings about a change in God before it brings about a change in us. That is, God was hostile towards sin, but because of the death of Jesus, he is able now to be at peace with us. See, justification actually changes God. That's why we call it propitiation, the taking away of God's wrath and the ushering in of God's kindness. God is able to look upon us with a posture of grace, favour, kindness and generosity now because of Jesus. And at the precise moment that we put our faith in Jesus, then the kindness of God shines upon us. God is at peace with us and we are at peace with God again. The second thing Paul says is through Christ we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. Now, access here is not like a key card. You get in through this magical card. No, this is a personal introduction to a king. It's more like an invitation to stand in the king's presence. If ever in the ancient times you wanted to have a word with the king, you couldn't just saunter in and say, King O, I want to have a word with you. You had to have someone to introduce you and make sure that the king did not kill you as you approached him. Speaking with the king was a dangerous process and you had to have a mediator, someone to bring you into the king's presence and introduce you to the king. Jesus is such a mediator. Through him we are able to stand in the king's presence in a position of confidence, 
knowing that we are under his grace and not under his wrath. This is the opposite of being under sin and under wrath. Now we are standing in grace, in the sphere of God's kindness. And thirdly, Paul says, having been justified, we're now able to boast in the hope of the glory of God. You remember back in chapter 3, Paul said that boasting was excluded, remember? On what principle? On the principle of faith. Someone who believes in Jesus is not able to boast in their own performance. But having believed in Jesus, the Christian ought to be someone who boasts in the power and the justice and the love of God. And here specifically, boasting in the hope of the glory of God. That is, we want everyone to know that we are going to glory because of the death of Jesus and not be ashamed to say that. This is the whole point of being justified by faith. The point of being justified by faith is not to be justified. The point of being justified by faith is a means to an end of sharing in the glory of God forever. That is the end of justification and the point. And salvation was never for a comfortable, better life now. It's always been about eternal glory, the hope of the glory of God, of being resurrected and standing and sharing in God's glory. That's why Paul goes on to say that this hope cannot be threatened by suffering in verses 3 to 4. He says, not only do we glory in the hope of the, of the glory of God, not only do we boast in the hope of the glory of God, but we also glory in our sufferings. Actually, Technically, this should be translated boast. It's the same word that he used in verse 2. We boast in the hope of the glory of God and we boast in our sufferings. Now, these sufferings are not just aches and pains of everyday life. These are the sufferings that are particular to being a Christian. If you're a Christian, you will experience a particular kind of suffering that is targeted to you. It may be ridicule. It may be financial difficulty. In some places of the world, it it may be execution. Those things, says Paul, are a reason to boast. I don't know about you, but my first reaction to experiencing difficulty is not boasting and glorying and delighting and rejoicing in difficulty. But that's probably because I don't understand what God is doing. In Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us that the point of these sufferings is to build character via perseverance. If our faith is genuine, then we will survive these sufferings and they will have the effect of strengthening our confidence, strengthening our hope. Because trials produce perseverance, and perseverance produces character. While I was traveling in Asia, I met a man in Cambodia who'd been imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And he was full of joy and confidence. And he said to me, do you know what? They can put me in prison, but they cannot imprison the gospel. And his suffering furthered only to strengthen his conviction that he was on the right track and that he would be vindicated by Jesus. 
Of course, there are many people for whom suffering is a crisis of faith and their faith is dissolved by suffering. And I can only think that that must be because they had put their faith in Christ for something other than the hope of glory. They had hoped that Jesus would bring them something different and suffering shattered that illusion. So whether it's true faith or misplaced faith, suffering will expose the character of our faith. If your faith is in Christ, tribulation suffering will only build it and mature it into something even stronger. So we have been saved by Jesus. I used to be capable of surfing reasonably large waves, but nothing like this. This is a wave in Spain called Nazare. Now, the only way that you can surf a wave like this and not die is if you have a jet ski and someone on the jet ski to rescue you. Because at the end of this wave, he might be okay now, but at the end of this wave, there's whitewash. And the whitewash will hold the surfer under for minutes at a time in total darkness with complete disorientation, not knowing which way is up and how long you'll be under. It's certain death unless you have a jet ski rescue. Now, I watched a a documentary recently, the guy called Dave Kalama, who was a big wave surfer, and he described the feeling of getting on board one of these jet skis. And he said, it's pure love, man. When that jet ski comes and that hand is extended to you, you know you are safe. And all he needs to do once he's on the sled of that jet ski, is hang on tight. That jet ski can outrun any wave, can go over the top of almost any wave, and there's virtually zero risk of being lost once you're on the jet ski. Of course, prior to that, there was almost zero risk of surviving. You can understand the elation. Once he is on that ski, he is out of harm's way and he's home and hosed, even though he may not yet be out of the surf. He knows he's saved. Our brothers and sisters, we are on that jet ski already through Jesus. We may still be in the surf, but we're on the jet ski. For certain, we will be rescued. Of course, with a jet ski, there's still a chance that both the jet ski and the surfer will perish. But there's no chance of perishing if your faith is in Christ. His resurrection from the dead proved that the rescue was effective and is finished If your faith is in Christ now, all you need to do is hold on tight and wait for the day he returns. So we have been saved by Christ. Secondly, Paul goes on to show that the the grounds of our assurance that we have been saved by Christ is this experience of God's love or the, 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 yeah, two things. Firstly, the subjective experience of God's love. And secondly, the objective demonstration of God's love. So God's love is what convinces us and assures us that we have been saved and in a minute we'll see that we will be saved. Now here Paul talks about the role of the Holy Spirit in the first part of chapter 5. Now the role of the Holy Spirit is a very contentious issue. A lot of people have different ideas about what the Holy Spirit's uh, functional role or influence is in our life. For me, the clearest two passages are Ephesians 1, 
Ephesians 1, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit as a seal of ownership. Having believed in Christ, God seals us and says, you're mine. You will not be lost until the day of judgment. And here in Romans 5, he talks about the other role of the Holy Spirit. That is to bring to us a subjective confidence that God loves us. The inner voice of the Holy Spirit is a testimony of God's love direct to our hearts. That's an internal subjective experience of knowing that we are loved by God. And this is very important because around you will be many other conflicting pieces of evidence. If you look at your experience, your circumstances, your health, your financial situation, the things that happen to you day by day, you may come to the wrong conclusion. You may think, well, maybe God does not love me at all. But the Holy Spirit is testifying in our hearts that it is true. We are loved by God. But how does that voice come to us? Is it when we sit on a mountain meditating and trying to listen to the mysterious voice of God? Or is it listening to spa music? How do we get the inner voice of God to sing more loudly? Well, that is through the objective demonstration of God's love. In the second part of verse 5, Paul says that just at the right time... Christ died for the ungodly when we were still powerless. Now, I've been thinking about this verse over the last week because in the past, I'd always thought of it with regard to me. I thought, yeah, Jesus died for me while I was still a sinner. But then I realized that doesn't make any sense because Jesus died for me before I was born. Chronologically, it doesn't make sense that Jesus died for me before I became a Christian because I wasn't even born yet. I think what Paul is showing here is something different. This only makes sense historically. That is, Jesus died for mankind when his people, the Jews, were at their utter least powerfulness, at, their, at the bottom of their salvation history when they were the weakest, when it could be clearly seen that God's people had no way to reconcile themselves to him. They were expelled from Israel. They were cursed by God for not fulfilling their, their end of the covenant. And they were utterly powerless, ungodly, and counted as God's enemies. And then God sent his son into the world to demonstrate his love when his people were at rock bottom. You know, a lot of people have asked me, why didn't Jesus come when there was the internet? Or why didn't Jesus come now when there's more people? Technology is better. We could communicate the message more effectively. Why did he come to these backward people in the year zero or roundabout? And this is the answer. That was just the right time for God to demonstrate his love. When his people were at the bottom then God said, I love you. Here is my son to demonstrate that love. Now, that's very important because it means for me, I can look back at the history and say, if God loved his people when they were at their worst, then I know he loves me when I'm at my worst. That's the objective 
historical demonstration of God's love. At just the right time, God did the unthinkable. We might dare to die for a a good person. Of course, no one would die just for a righteous person, Paul says, but God demonstrates his love for for us in this. While we were still sinners, powerless and ungodly, Christ died for us. I have a friend called, uh, I won't mention her name. Uh, I have a friend in Sydney who uh, one day was driving her car. She's quite a romantic person. Uh, She has a kind of a romantic view of of her relationship with God. And one day she was driving her car and she noticed the sky was so blue. And she was looking at the sky and praising God when she had a crash. Um, And it caused a real crisis in her faith. She said, why did God do that to me? When I was in the middle of praising him, he caused me to have an accident. And she'd made, I mean, probably two mistakes. You shouldn't really be looking at the sky when you're driving. Of course, that's a fundamental error. But theologically, she'd made a different kind of error. She was looking at her circumstances as evidence of God's love or of his displeasure. And that's a very easy mistake to make. If you look around you and look at the evidence, the the events that happen around you, you may easily be mistaken about God's love. The place where we look for evidence of God's love to us is Calvary. We don't look at our circumstances. We don't look at our personal performance, how I'm going as a Christian, my reading enough, praying enough, being moral enough. Irrelevant. Calvary is the demonstration of God's love. And only Calvary. There may be some of us here today who are still unsure that God loves us. We think, yeah, he could love other people, but... He knows my secrets. He knows the things that I dare not say to anyone else. He knows the things that I've thought and dare not even tell anyone. Well, yeah, it's undeniable that you're unworthy of God's love, but Calvary demonstrates to you that he loves you. When humankind was at its worst, God said, Here is the demonstration of my love. That's where we look if we're in doubt of God's love. He did not die for righteous people. He did not die for good people. He died for the ungodly, for the sinners, for his enemies. That's us. That's why in the song we sang this morning, he says, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Thirdly, we will be saved through Jesus. Now, for those fans of logic, this is an if-then argument. If A, then B. A, therefore, B. That is, if it is, we've been saved by, by God, uh, by Jesus, then we will be saved by Jesus. Since we have been saved by Jesus, we will be saved by Jesus. Very simple logic. However, this is a slightly modified logic um, because this is a if hard, then easy. It's a modification. If God has done the hard thing, then how much more will he do the easy thing? 
And the, the way that it's applied is simply this. If reconciled, then saved. Since reconciled, then saved. And here, reconciliation was the hard thing. So being saved on the day of God's wrath is going to be the easy thing. Since we were reconciled to God through the death of Jesus, while we were his enemies... How could it possibly be the case that we would not be saved on the day of God's judgment now that we are his friends? It's a ridiculous notion that a Christian would not be saved on the day of judgment if A, then B. Since we've been reconciled while we were enemies of God, 100% without a shadow of a doubt, definitively, absolutely certain We will be saved on the day of judgment. No doubt. All that remains now is to receive the guaranteed, certified, sealed, paid up delivery of what has already been declared will happen. Our inheritance of God's glory in the new creation. On the 1st of October 2017... Matthew and Ethan, my sons, were granted Australian citizenship by descent. Now, they didn't do anything at that time. They were one and two years old. They were just being one and two year olds. But I can tell you, I did a lot. I had to run around and get this paper, that paper, certification of birth, certification that I was their father, certification that I was Australian, translated into English, notarized, copied, blah, 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 went on and on. Photos, notarized photos, it just went on and on and on. But eventually they got it. And uh, yeah, like I say, it was not easy. It was an arduous task. Then on the 17th of August, we arrived in Australia. And when we got to customs and immigration, there was nothing complicated or difficult at all. We just showed them the boys' passports and they said, welcome to Australia, come on in. That was the easy part. All the hard work had already been done before they arrived. Now, for us who believe in Jesus, the hard work has already been done. It's finished, as Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. It's complete. All that remains now is for us to hear the words, welcome to paradise on the day of God's judgment. There will be no examination. There will be no entrance test. There will be no arduous paperwork. Everything is complete. When Jesus breathed his last and said, it is finished, our salvation was secured. So, how confident should we be when we look forward to the day of judgment? Is it right to be confident or arrogant? Is it not more humble to say, I hope that I'll be received into glory, but I couldn't be sure? No, it's not more humble to say that. That's actually more arrogant because you're saying that it's not finished when Jesus has said it is finished. If your faith is in Jesus, 
there's nothing more to do but to hang on tight until the day when he returns. Bold, I approach the eternal throne should be the words that ring in every Christian's head when we think about the prospect of God's judgment day. Of course, boasting in ourselves is excluded by faith, but by all means boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who has completed the work and promised us that we will inherit his glory. Shout it from the rooftops, plaster it on your Facebook feed, stick it on your bumper, emblazon it on your t-shirt, do whatever you have to do to boast to the world that God has secured your salvation. Don't doubt it. You are a new creation citizen and your citizenship has already been issued. Now all that remains is for you to hear the words, welcome to glory.